Hello, I'm Pastor Eric Longman. Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Rogers, Arkansas. Each week we gather to talk through some passage of scripture or some interesting topic that has come up in the life of a church, and we invite you to come along for the ride and to listen in. Just a bit of a setup, Holy Trinity is a member congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, or LCMS. We believe in salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we place Jesus and his suffering, death, and resurrection for the sake of sinful people like you and me at the center of our teaching. You should know going in that I'm very much open to exploring rabbit holes in Bible study. I take on it as simple. Whatever passage of scripture we're looking at is just an entry point. It gets us into God's word and it opens the door for the discussion to go wherever the Holy Spirit takes us. So don't be surprised when we wander down some pathways that maybe are only tangentially related to the topic at hand. It makes for some interesting conversations, and we're blessed with a group that's happy to share their experiences along the way. So with that, let's jump in to this week's episode. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Longman. Glad to see all of you here. Just a reminder, we are recording for the podcast, so don't say anything that you don't want to have on the internet forever. Um, before we jump in, um, we're continuing with our study of um, the Augsburg Confession and the Apology, or the defense of the Augsburg Confession. You should have a sheet that says Session 4 on it. We've, we've spent the last few weeks looking at um, Session 3, which is about free will. Now we're going to turn and look at Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior, Intercessor. And we're going to be digging into that specifically in Articles 3 and 21 of the Creed and of the Apology. So before we get into that, and has everybody had a chance to sign the attendance sheet? Or should we send it around one more time? I get paid on attendance, y'all. So. Yeah, thank you. That's like a bonus for me now. <laughs> I don't really. Y'all know that, right? Okay. <laughs> Any questions about anything? VBS is coming up next Sunday through Thursday, the 16th through the 20th. Go ahead, Mark. I didn't have a question, but I, I was just uh, something that's interesting. I'd just like to share around. I don't mean to bore anybody, maybe they already knew this. But we, you know, we've been talking about sin and, and baptism. And I, I had mentioned that uh, Hilldale had that uh, free online course, mm -hmm. uh, ancient, which this past week was a lecture on Constantine and the Council of Nicaea. Oh, really? And, right. It was really, and then relevant to baptism, I'll get to it here, but it really was a surprise to me. First of all, I mean, Constantine, the, the Romans had persecuted the Christians, and he was the first one to convert it, and the Christians, there's a different, right. uh, you know, what was going on. Right. Uh, and then probably his had to do with also, uh, before the battle, Milion Bridge, uh, he had a miraculous vision, but there was the cross. Yeah. Uh, the oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then there was a voice said by the sign, conquered. So he had that painted on the shields the next morning, and they won the battle. And uh, he really uh, expressed his faith with helping with uh, two basilicas, St. Peter and St. John, mm -hmm. build that. Mm -hmm. And then to maintain peace and order, he brought the bishops together to resolve the relationship between the father and son of one yep. substance. Yep. Okay, but and the early Christians at that time, which was what I found interesting, they had a, a belief among them. Uh, role to the baptism, uh, it was the greatest to sin after being baptized. And so, say that again. It was the. It was egregious to be to sin after being baptized. Oh. They waited till the end. <laughs> so, uh, in the year 337, uh, Constantine, on his deathbed, uh -huh. was baptized. Really. Which I found to be. Yeah, I never knew Interesting. Never that before. And then relative to today to the sermon, we see uh, Pastor Myers' baptism. He was born in 69. Yes, he was, yeah. So I, don't mean, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I, there's, in fact, I think Amy Wright is in the birthday list and the baptismal birthday list. Because if I remember right, she was born June 11th and baptized July 12th, or July 11th and baptized July 12th. 
so like that. And I, I had um, at my home congregation back in Atlanta, there was a couple there, and the, the family tradition going back many generations was when a baby was born, they called the pastor, and he came to the hospital and baptized the baby immediately. So, you know, that's that grab and hold of that gift. I think it's fascinating that the prevailing sentiment would be to wait until the last minute out of fear that you'll sin after you're baptized or something like that. Because, like, who can us, who among us can predict when he's going to die? Especially like a king who's going into battle. <laughs> I Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, okay, VBS is um, Sunday through Thursday. We have been requested... Um, as a class, if we would provide the meal one night, um, as we did for one of the Lenten suppers. Are y'all up for that? You willing to do that? Yeah. Robert's all in. Um, can somebody step up to kind of organize and make sure that we're getting everything that we need to get? And I've got a text from Debbie um, Studevin about what they'd like us to bring. I have to look it up. But I, I got one yes. Is that all? Anybody else willing to just bring something on? I don't remember what day they wanted us to do it. That's bad, isn't it? I came without all the information. Yeah, one second. Let me pull this up and I'll, I'll tell you. I made an announcement without all the information. So. That's brilliant. That's smart, my friend. I... I fully support you in that. <laughs> Ken, if you didn't hear it, Ken said, I don't volunteer Donna for anything. <laughs> Good answer. All right, let me see if I can find the specifics. Thank you. Please stand by. We're loading, we're loading. Okay, Deb has asked us to do it on Wednesday, July 19th. Um, and she's asking us to bring sandwiches, chips, raw veggies, fruit, and dessert. Um, and we need to have that ready about 5.30 p.m. and plan to feed around 50. But we'll have a more accurate head count as we get closer to that. So you said Robert said yes. Jeannie said yes. Um, of those things, Robert, what do you want to do? Um, half and half chips and sandwiches. Chips and sandwiches, okay. Jeannie? Oh, what, what am I having a choice of? Veggies. All right, um, sandwiches, chips, raw veggies, fruit, and dessert. Chips and raw veggies. Chips and raw veggies. Anybody else able to help? Don will do, Don will do uh, sandwiches and dessert. The thing is, you volunteering Don is like an entirely different thing than, than Ken volunteering Donna. That's just, they're not even in the same league. Yeah, that's right. So, right. Don, you know that I'll get it was sandwiches, chips, raw veggies, fruit, and dessert. 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 Fruit and dessert. Anybody else want to? Yeah. Melinda. Fruit? Dessert and chips. Dessert and chips. Okay. When's the date? It's Wednesday. Wednesday the 19th. Okay. Do you want the fruit cut up or the fruit is whole? I would say cut up is preferable. Yeah, because it's for kids and adults. So. All right, so I got sandwiches, chips, veggies, fruit, dessert. I think we're covered. Anybody else want to contribute? Fruit. Fruit. Okay. Thank you, Betty. <laughs> nice. Okay. You said fruit, right? Fruit. Okay. <laughs> Well, she said figure on 50. 
50. 50, I think that's probably generous. It's probably going to be a little less than that, but we'll let you know a better number as we get closer. Okay. All right. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're going to eat more sandwiches. I think that's not a bad idea. Can you do that? Sandwiches. Okay. Thank you all. I will send an email out with a reminder. Um, All right. Um, what else do I have? Next week um, is Unity Sunday and Voters Assembly. So our class time will move. We'll be at 8.45 next week. 10 a.m. worship and then 11.30 um, HTY Cafe. The youth will prepare a meal for us and we'll have our Voters Assembly. If you haven't heard already, one of the major items on the list is um, we have to vote on a proposal brought to us by Ozarks Go, which is a, a local internet provider. They have proposed to build a fiber hut on our property at the back corner. Um, it, it will be fairly nondescript and surrounded by a, a fence so that it looks nice. Um, so what they're doing is purchasing an easement from us to build that fiber hut and also to, to drill underground to run their cabling and fiber optics back to it. Um, and occasionally they'll be here to service the hut and that sort of thing. So their proposal to buy the easement is for $50,000. It's a one-time payment. Um, and then they will also give us their highest level commercial internet service um, at no charge for as long as we own the land. Um, and anytime they increase what their top tier is, we will get the bump and we'll get the faster speed. Um, it'll, it'll save us about $110 a month, what we're paying right now for internet, um, and it will increase our connection speed by about 10 times. So it's a significant improvement and no money, so that's kind of nice. So I w I'm going to send out, are y'all on the e-blast list? Is everybody getting that? If not, I just need your email address and we'll put it in our system. Um, there will be an e-blast that goes out this week that has a picture of the easement and the space that they're getting an easement for. They're not buying the property, they're buying the right to use our property. That's essentially what it comes down to. Um, yeah, go ahead. What if they go out of business? They will be responsible for removing their hut, I guess. Um, I'll look and see if there's a provision in there. I'm not positive. Yeah. Now, I will say... Um, if they transfer it to something else, all rules may go away, you know, all agreements. The, no, they're, they will inherit the agreement that we have made. You, they would have to renegotiate it. Yeah, they would have to renegotiate well, it. Which means um, it may not be as good. No, you you purchase somebody else. You purchase their agreements and contracts as right. they stand. Yeah, contract. they don't get to start fresh. They okay. they okay. inherit what we've agreed to already. But you said they're going to be here. You're going to be somebody here to. There will be someone here to answer any questions that you have. So if you have questions for Ozarks, go. One of the interesting things about it is Ozarks Go is part of Ozarks um, Power. Uh, thank you, Ozarks Electric Co-op. And because they're run as a co-op, they do business a little differently, and that's a, a benefit to us actually, because their outlook is to have a long-term relationship as opposed to just squeezing it for the most amount of money possible. Um, and so they they have been wide open to everything that I have asked of them. Um, and a great example was we had a meeting where we went through everything in detail and they said, uh, I said, well, what, you know, the hut's going to be there, but is it going to be fenced or anything like that? And he goes, yeah, there'll be a fence around it. And I said, well, cool. What's that going to look like? And he goes, you tell us. We'll build it to look like what you want it to look like. And I said, I just don't want chain link. And he said, we don't either. We want to do steel posts and cedar so that it looks nice and will last a long time. So... Those kind of things they have been very open to. They have, there's a clause that says that if they kill any of our trees, they will pay to remove them professionally and to replace them, not with the same size, but with a baby tree. Um, there's a clause in there that basically says if they damage our parking lot, they'll fix it. Um, you know, they have been wide open to when I have said, listen, we have kids here during the week when we have our, our parents day out program. Um, you have got to, make sure that all your subs are aware of the fact that there are kids and you don't act like idiots driving through a parking lot. They were agreeable to that. So they've been very open and, and very agreeable to everything that we have placed on them. Um, it sounds like they want to do something that's attractive 
and and make it worth our while as well. So and you said also they're using the boring machine. Yes. The yeah, they're not going to trench the yard. So yeah, so boring machines are kind of fascinating. If you don't know how these things work, they actually so out by the street here is where they'll tap into their fiber optics. And basically, there'll be a big machine out there that pokes under the ground, and it goes underground the entire way back to the back. Somehow or another, they're able to steer this thing underground. It's crazy. Yeah, it's fascinating. Now, is this all in writing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What's that? Is this all in writing? Yes. Yes. So it'll be a signed It is a signed contract easement. We'll have a copy of that for you all to look at, too. So I, I can tell you that I, uh, they bored my yard for the optical fiber because it didn't, it didn't have it when we bought our house. Yep. And there was no trace at all. It's amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's incredible. Well, they'll make a bit of a mess, but they'll clean it up. It's part of Ozark's electric, so they know what they're doing. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they've, been, they've been in existence for hundred years or more. I yeah. It's one of the original co-ops up there. They're they in Carroll Electric, which a lot of y'all may have Carroll Electric to Ozark. The only Carroll Ozark since nineteen eighty seven. They're straight up people. Yeah. I've talked to a couple of folks who actually have them for internet service and said they're fabulous for that too. I just haven't got it in our area yet yeah. to look at. It. Yeah. I've only had two instances where my internet went down. Uh, the first time, it, of course, it was something that had happened with the weather, and I called up. It's a local number. They fixed it right in from the. Um, they didn't have to come to my house. I didn't have to fight for a lineman <laughs> like I had been done doing with AT&T for years. And uh, the second time it happened, they notified me that one of their substations had been damaged. I don't know if it's car wreck or what, but they let me know that they were working on it and they would restore shortly, and it wasn't very long at all. It came back. Cool. And that's Ozark's go. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Good. So any questions that you might have, feel free to ask me. I'm the one who's been working most closely with them, but Mike Nelson would be another possibility. And like we said, there will be someone from Ozarks Go at the meeting next week to answer any questions. Okay. Any questions about that? Or about anything? Nothing. Okay. Uh, put a brick outside to match what we have on the So it's not brick. It's actually poured concrete. But it, I have a picture of it. I'll show you what it looks like. But it's it's attractive. It's not hideous. One of the things I like, too, is they said they, they will run water to it. You know, they will work with the city to run water to it because um, every so often they have a maintenance program where they will clean it and make sure that it's nice and, and looks good. So I appreciated that, too. Yeah. What's that? Yo, I'm hoping they tear the parking lot up and then we'll get a new one. <laughs> I did not say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Well, we pray they don't. No, we want them to dig so that they have to tear up the parking lot. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't say that online. Yeah, I did. did. It's on the internet forever. Um, <laughs> our, our devotion for today from Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. So I tell you to stop worrying about what you'll eat, drink, or wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? And the title of this is Worrying About Daily Necessities. Here's what Luther said. In this passage, Jesus delivers a scathing sermon against worry. Worry shows lack of trust, and therefore it's opposed to the gospel of Christ. Worry is a problem for the world at large, as well as for Christians. The devil hates anyone who wants to live a Christian life and declares that Jesus is Lord. The devil, the ruler of this world, keeps opposing and antagonizing believers. He can't attack them through God's word and faith, so he attacks them with what is under his authority and control. Believers are trapped in their bodies, which are still in Satan's kingdom. So he harasses and imprisons them. He deprives them of food and drink. He constantly threatens to take away all their wealth and possessions. And as this is happening, believers naturally try to find ways to escape these calamities and to avoid losing their property. The people of this world, however, that is those who are not faithful, Praise those who strive for wealth and possessions. Instead of seeing striving for wealth as a failure to trust God, 
They consider it a commendable virtue and a praiseworthy character trait. Take note of what it means to serve wealth. It is undue concerns about the needs and necessities of life, such as worrying about what you'll eat and what you'll wear. In short, it means thinking only about this life and accumulating a large fortune under the mistaken notion that this life will go on forever. We don't have to consider daily necessities like eating, drinking, buying clothes as serving and worshiping wealth. Purchasing and storing food is essential for life. The sin, however, is being concerned about them and setting our heart on them as a source of comfort and security. And what he's riffing on a little bit is, is Luther's definition of what it means to have a God. You know, what is a God? Anything that you look to for all comfort and for provision, that's truly your God. And so he's kind of riffing on that, that, you know, when we look to the 401k or the retirement plan or the salary or the position or whatever else, that can become our God. And that's not a good thing. So we pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the provision that you give to us, for the certainty that you provide daily bread, that we have what we need to survive in this world and that we have, more importantly, all we need uh, to make it into the next world and to be there for eternity with you. And that is our faith. That is the salvation of Jesus Christ won for us on the cross. Comfort us with that certainty and, and help us to focus our eyes on you as God and as provider and as protector. Uh, be with us as we study today. Guide and lead us in our discussion that all of it might bring glory to you and be pleasing in your sight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, you should have session four. Um, it begins page 23. <clears throat> the focus of this is because of our sinful nature and desires. See, how was that for a perfect lead in? Um, we often fail to recognize Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We make other saviors in our own image. We rely on ourselves. We live in self-serving ways. But yet the Son of God came down from heaven for us and for our salvation. Jesus forgives us and all his repentant people and empowers us boldly to confess him as the Son of God made flesh, our only Savior and intercessor with the Father. So you can get a sense there that what we're talking about in these in these articles in the creed or in the uh, in the confession and in the apology is about who is Jesus? Like who is this guy and how do we understand his role and, and who he is for us? So that's what we're going to be jumping into. Does somebody want to read this little section entitled More Than a Fish Story? In the early church, the simple outline of a fish became a Christian confession and identification sign. In Greek, the five letters of the word fish are <laughs> You want me to do it? <laughs> ichthus. Yeah, ichthus. Believers to remember the truth of the gospel. Yes, I do want you to Yeah. Iesus, which is Jesus. Christos, which is Christ. Theu, which means God's apostrophe S, possessive. Son, so God's son, Wios, Soter, meaning Savior. So, Jesus Christos Theu Wios Soter is abbreviated Ichthus, which is also the word for fish. That's where that connection comes. Thank you. Yeah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior. This confession is the church's one foundation. The Augsburg Confession presents the simple truths of Holy Scripture on the person and word. Cool. So, question. this is awesome that we jump in at question number 44. <laughs> How has our world's understanding of Jesus changed in the past years? And I don't know what time frame they've got in mind here, but you let your imagination run wild. How has our perception changed? Say it again. So we could do a whole class on that. We got time. Go. <laughs> How has it changed? First of all, God doesn't exist. Well, it's been influenced by our media. We can't see that. You can't see that? Not dark enough? No, sorry. I'm trying. Discussion. I saw a post on Facebook where it says what the world thinks about Jesus versus what he really is. And it's. Ooh, those are two different things, aren't they? Yeah. Yes, they are. If, if one thing that struck me was Jesus is always nice and then it's. No, Jesus judged against sin. 
You know, Jesus wants us to all love each other uh, without conditions. And uh, yes, Jesus wants us to love each other, but you have boundaries with how other people can treat you. Um, but it was some, it was things like that. Which is funny because they all pick up on nuggets of truth, but they don't give a full picture. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's all gone. It's all gone to the soft, windy side. Sure. When Jesus wasn't. Yeah. And everybody went, "Oh, Jesus is always sweet and nice." And you tell that to the people in the in the temple when he uh, kicked them out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he purged the temple, yeah. Jesus is just one way to God. Oh, just one way to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's been percolating for, well, probably forever, but especially probably in the last 20, 30 years, maybe? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah, it's just one way to God. There's a lot of other ways to get there. Well, yeah. Coexist, right? I mean, that's kind of the root of that message. Yeah, go ahead. We are ruled by majority rule. Oh, okay. So, yeah, whatever's yeah. true about Jesus is what we decide as a consensus as opposed to what Scripture actually reveals. That's right. That's right. Okay, that's interesting. Jesus has become political. No! Really? <laughs> that's the... That's, as, as witnessed by the... There was a, a thing back in the... Gosh, what was it in the... 90s maybe the what would Jesus do thing when was that 90s I guess which actually I mean I think the underlying sentiment is pretty cool they're great yeah the idea it's like let's you know think about how Jesus might respond to something and maybe that gives you some guidance and it it picks up on Paul's words that are uh, that we should be imitators of Christ but then that got turned into all kinds of weird wacky stuff you know what would Jesus drive (laughs) <laughs> that, that was one that's floating around, right? It was it, that was the the you know you can't drive a can't drive a big diesel truck. You've got to drive a Prius. Jesus wasn't married. He didn't have a house. Uh, unless you read Dan Brown and, and uh, Angels and Demons. <laughs> Which, right? Yeah. So all kinds of weird stuff about Jesus floating around, isn't it? Why? I mean, what what is it that leads people to kind of craft this weird sort of caricature of who Jesus is? Power. Power, okay. They kind of, they kind of want to wield Jesus as a weapon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Diminishes divinity. Okay. So, in a sense, to draw him a little closer, so he's more like me, right? Because I don't want, I don't want, like, if he's God, that means I've got to pay attention. Okay. Self-justification. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Well, if I can, and, and that's, that touches on what you said. Yeah, it kind of does. I, I want to craft a Jesus that that that. Approves of all the things that I that I agree. Yeah. What else? Jesus hates, which is impossible because God loves. Jesus hates sin. He does hate uh-huh. sin, but. But they wield Jesus as a, as, as hate. a weapon yeah. again. Okay. Okay. He does stand against some stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sin, particularly. But he does it in love. Mm-hmm. So. Ultimately, what's going on, I think, is that is that people are crafting Jesus in the image that they want him to have. They they want to make they. So you can start. I don't have a Bible. This is my Bible. But <laughs> there you go. You can start here and like actually learn something about Jesus based on the revelation that God gives us, and and build your understanding of who Jesus is from this. Or you can set that aside and just go, here's what I think Jesus ought to be like. And, and what you're doing when you do that, and I think plenty of people do, is you're creating an idol. You're not actually focusing on Jesus. You just, you know, you basically um, appropriated his name to plug it into some idol that you've created for yourself. And it makes you feel a little better to call him Jesus. And there was a saying that floated around a while ago, and I, I think it's still relevant, and that was, if if your God agrees with everything that you think, then you have probably are not worshiping God, you're worshiping an idol. You've crafted something that is not actually God. And so I think the challenge for us is to, is to let Jesus be who he actually is and who scripture reveals him to be, as opposed to like worshiping this caricature that we make up because we think it's, you know, cuddly or fuzzy or, or um, condemns the people that we don't like or you know whatever that might be so what ideas about Jesus we kind of did this already do you hear about in your conversations with others and I think we've kind of 
we've, we've raked that ground over, you think? All right, so let's look at what the Augsburg Confession says about Jesus as God and man. From the Augsburg Confession, our churches teach that the Word, capital W, that is the Son of God, assumed the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So there are two natures, the divine and the human, inseparably joined in one person. There is one Christ, true God and true man, who was born of the Virgin Mary, truly suffered, and was crucified, dead, and was buried. Um, he did this to reconcile the Father to us and to be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for all actual sins of mankind. He also descended into hell and truly rose again on the third day. Afterward, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. There he forever reigns and has dominion over all creatures. He sanctifies, or makes holy, those who believe in him by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive. He defends them against the devil and the power of sin. The same Christ will openly come again to judge the living and the dead, and so forth, according to the Apostles' Creed. That's all from the Confession, Article 3. From Article 21, our teach church, in English, our churches teach that the history of saints may be set before us so that we may follow the example of their faith and good works according to our calling. But the scriptures do not teach that we are to call on the saints or to ask the saints for help. Scripture sets before us the one Christ as the mediator, atoning sacrifice, high priest, and intercessor. He is to be prayed to. He has promised that he will hear our prayer. This is the worship that he approves above all other worship that he be called upon in all afflictions. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. 1 John chapter 2. A um, couple of comments on that. Um, one, I don't think anywhere in here it actually used the name Jesus. Is that right? Um, they use the term Christ. Christ. Which is, the Greek word underneath that is Christos, which is actually the Greek word then for the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah, which means anointed one. Okay? So they're using a title to describe who Jesus is. He's the one that from the Old Testament was anointed to be our Savior and he came. Okay, So um, we don't use the name Jesus. We use the name the Word. Going back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and then it goes from there. Um, so understand that. <laughs> Some, I, I joke sometimes in confirmation class that his name, like his last name is not Christ. Right? He's not Jesus, first name, Christ, last name. It's Jesus, Christ is his office. It's his role. It's his job. He is the Christ. Okay, So it would be like saying Eric Pastor. Um, the other interesting thing here that jumped out for me was um, in the second paragraph there. He descended into hell. Um, understand what's going on there. Because I think there's this misperception that Jesus died and then spent three days in hell before he rose again. Um, and that that time in hell was his punishment for our sin. No. That punishment for our sin actually happened on the cross um, when he experienced the separation from God. And it happened when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's his experience of hell on our behalf because he experiences the complete separation from God. After he's crucified and died, he does descend into hell, and this is from 1 Peter, I think, but not to suffer. He descends to hell to pronounce and to, claim, to, to announce victory, to say, hey, you know, the last thing he says on the cross is to telestai in Greek, which is, it is finished, it's done. So when he goes to hell after he dies, it's to, it's to declare victory. It's to say, hey, this is all done. And I have emerged victorious and I have defeated sin, death, and the devil. 
And then he rises again on the third day as a, as a demonstration of that and as, as to complete the action, basically. So that now we can see what his death and then resurrection means for us, and that is that we die to sin and that we will one day rise to new, we rise to new life in this earth, but we also then will rise to eternal life on the last day. Okay, so a lot of stuff going on in here. Anything that jumped out at you or that confused you? Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I noticed is it says you pray only to Christ, so that in the Catholic Church takes away the praying to Virgin Mary. That's specifically what they're talking about. Yeah. Article 21. I'll give you the title for it because that helps. Um, Article 21 is about worship of the saints. So they're specifically addressing that practice in the Christian church, or in the Catholic church. Um, and, and it's a correction. It basically says, hold up a minute here. We don't pray to the saints. The saints are awesome. Remember, that's how they start, right? The saints are cool. Oh, yeah. They're amazing. We should look at the saints and learn from them and understand them. But we don't pray to them. Now, we pray to Jesus. The, again, I'm not a expert in Catholic, but don't they all have, you know, certain saints, you know, the same group yeah. of whatever. Yeah, and the saints kind of have their purview, right? Yeah. But they also purged a bunch of them, too, which but is, do they, okay, that's confusing. Do they pray to those saints? <laughs> I think, I, I'm, y'all can correct me, because I want to, I want to say this respectfully. I think they would tell you that they pray to Jesus through those saints. Hmm. I, I think they would say that they call on Christopher, for example, I think is the one for safe travels or whatever, but yeah. they call on him in order to intercede with Jesus on their behalf. But they're praying to him. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And and saying, hey, can you take this message to Jesus for me? I mean, effectively, that's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So so what happens then, if that's, if that's how you perceive what's going on, then all of a sudden, St. Christopher or, or whoever it is, St. Teresa or whoever you want to pray to, has become your intercessor with, with God. Which... And and that's what that's what the the fathers are speaking against. They're saying, oh no no no, saints are awesome. Don't we're not diminishing the saints in any way, shape, or form because they give us a picture of what it looks like to to like actually live out a life of faith. That's important. But but and I think probably most of the saints would say, don't don't pray to me, pray to Jesus. Because he's the one who actually is your intercessor. He's the one who's promised to hear your prayers. Jeannie. They probably got into that because they think it, it wouldn't hurt. You know, it wouldn't hurt anything. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it said that the whole... Especially to talk to his mother. Th there you go. The whole Catholic thing about praying to Mary is like, if you want to get something done, you go to the mama. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's, there's some history for this, right? The yeah. wedding in Cana? Yeah. Honor. With the wedding in Cana. Who was it who went to Jesus and said, hey, do something about this? It was Mary. She was like, you got to fix this. <laughs> He's like, woman, my time has not come. She's like, I don't care, fix it. That's, you know, the Longman paraphrase of all of it. What confuses me is the saints, uh, saints, capital S, yeah. are designated by humans. Yeah, yeah, like we get to pick who, who's, who does yeah, what. Yeah, who is and who isn't. Sure. Yeah. Doesn't that really bring you to the point where they don't think Jesus is alive and actually hearing us. In other words, well, no, I'm not sure I would go that Jesus, far. He's alive. He is alive today. Sure, he is. He is alive and living, yeah. and he hears our prayers. Yeah. So why would you go to a dead man? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. That's logically. So if, if the thought is, well, Jesus isn't alive any longer. Then you know what do you make of the resurrection? I mean, yeah. what, you know, yeah. th then then you turn the ascension into some sort of second death or something like that, which is that's not. Untrusting. But yeah, that's, that's, that's good, point. good point. Somebody else had a question over here. Pam, was it you? Yeah. Um. The he descended into hell and rose again on the third day. Yeah. I think that's. It, it's like okay, he just went to hell and in essence said, "Nah, nah, you're wrong." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there. And then left, it's like, okay, what did he do during those three days? Yeah. I think that's what hangs up people. Yeah. Because it's like, well, he did this, and then three days later was the next yeah. thing spoken. So what else was he doing? Is that <laughs> so do any of the, the other non-biblical sources say anything about that time frame? 
No, in fact, I did a study on that a while back, and I, I think I, I think it's First Peter three, maybe I don't remember exactly where it is, but I think that's the only place where it says anything about it, and and even that's kind of vague. Um, so it's not it's not all that clear. Um, and yeah, to my I don't think there's any extra biblical source that says anything. Okay, yeah. I was just curious. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good there question, but I don't not that I know. There is no time in hell, and there is no time in heaven, because the earth is not rotating, and you don't have sun, morning, noon, night. You don't have, they don't have that. That's why eternity is, is undescribable. Yeah. I'm just wondering if maybe, like, I mean, I, you know, God can do what he wants to. Creating time in hell might actually be effective. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but like you're aware of the passage of time too. It's like being in an airport, you know? The longer you sit there, the more painful it is. <laughs> we're here to that. We're here to it. What were you going to say, John? I think you had something. Well, when did he rise the first time? How do you mean? Well, it says here he rose again. Rose again from the dead, meaning yeah. he rose to life again. The first time would have been his incarnation in birth. Yeah, so it's restored to life, basically, is what it's saying there. All right, what else? Anything? So, to the questions here, number 46. Jesus is the true God. What words describe his deity, and how did he show his divine nature and power on earth? And you can look back at, at the confession to find some of those words if you want. So in the confession, I mean, we start by saying we use the term, like I said, the word, which is which is leaning into John chapter one and his explanation of who the Christ is. Um, you go down a little bit further and it talks about the fact that there are two natures, the divine and the human. Um, we say is one Christ, true God is specifically in there. Um well, the words are, are the same attributes of God. Faithful, powerful, yeah. loving, yep. um, omniscient. Yeah, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. All, yeah. all, of the, all, of, all attributes of God, Jesus has too. Right. Now, now, the trick is that he set some of those aside. Yes. Right? He set them and aside, but he still has them. He still has them, yeah. But, you know, I think it's... Um, where is it? Second. Paul talks about it. He talks about, you know, for the glory and him willingly set aside that divinity in order to save us. Yeah, go ahead. When Jesus talks about himself, he says the son of man. And he, he, he's like um, really preferring that to use He that. uses that term a lot. Philippians a lot, right. yeah. He does. But, is that because he's taken human form and um, trying to identify, let people identify with him closely? No, he, he's actually tapping into something much deeper than that. Um, when he What's, uses that term, son of man, what does he mean? Um, he's actually casting himself back to Daniel in the Old Testament and the prophecy of the, of the Messiah and how he will come. And it's a phrase that Daniel used under inspiration to describe the Christ. So when Jesus says, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, uh, Jesus never said he was God. Well, yeah, he did. But that's one of them, is that he calls himself the Son of Man. And anybody who knows anything about the Old Testament and specifically about Daniel, which is to say the religious elite particularly, should immediately pick up and go, oh my gosh, that guy's saying he's God. You know, he's saying he's the Messiah. So he's, he's taking an Old Testament term and applying it to himself in a way that, that subtly in some ways, but like boldly makes the claim about who he is. Okay? So it's a phrase, you know, we look at it, if you look at it with no context, you go, son of man, what does that mean? You know, okay, so he was born of a woman. Is that the point there? Is that what's going on? But he's actually riffing off of something in the Old Testament. And for those who know what he's talking about, it raises their hackles. It's why the, it's why the Sanhedrin comes after him. Yeah, so he's so making the Pharisees a, and the 
Sanhedrin. Yeah, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin right. and Sadducees they and that whole really, They know what it says in the in the Oh yeah, Old they know what he's they saying. Accept him. Yes. Yeah. Saying that because they won't they accept can. that he is what he says he is. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Um what was I looking for? Philippians two. Um, Philippians 2, so Paul is writing about imitating Christ's humility. Let me get a good translation here. Um, oh, that's right. Y'all are singing today. Yay. Good. Um, Pastor, the Daniel is from Daniel 7. Oh, thank you. 13. Okay. Um, we'll dig into that in a second. So in, in to your point about his attributes, um, Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, begin at verse 4 or 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, that is, though he was God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So we talk, when we talk about Jesus and we talk about his kind of trajectory, when Jesus is, becomes incarnate, when he's born and takes on human flesh, we talk about that as the humiliation of Christ. Reason being, he is God, and yet he has humiliated or lowered himself to become a part of creation, even though he is the creator of it. And so his life on earth is, is referred to as the humiliation of Jesus. And then his, his passion, his death and his resurrection, all that, is referred to as the... Um, exaltation. Exaltation, thank you. The exaltation of Christ. So it, it's, it's moving him from that humiliation into his rightful place as the Christ. John, thank you for the mind meld, brother. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just understand what's going on. And so, yeah, all the attributes of God he's got, and yet he shed some of them while he's here as part of his humiliation. Now, what were we looking for? What was the other thing? Daniel, right? Let's find it here where I got some notes and stuff. Daniel 7, um, starting at 13. It's after the judgment. Daniel 7, starting at 13. Oh, this is, yeah, 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 this is awesome stuff. Um, so Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Ancient of Days being God the Father. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so we're talking about, this is really about the ascension, okay? Um, and, and what's cool about it is you've got, this is the exaltation of Christ. And it's an image of the ascension actually from the perspective of heaven, right? It's, it's God looking down as Jesus comes to him and he gives all power and authority to him because, you know, Jesus says that, right? All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Well, this is an image of the ascension from heaven. <laughs> and so when Jesus calls himself son of man, he's tying himself tightly to what Daniel's talking about here. And, and saying, I'm that guy. And the scribes and the Pharisees were like, no. <laughs> they didn't want to accept it. To their, you know, eternal harm and condemnation. And when that happened, when Daniel yeah. revealed that to us, that was hundreds of years ahead oh, yeah. of his time, right? Yeah, Daniel was, let's see, um... I'm trying to remember the time frame for Daniel. I know Isaiah was about 750 years before Jesus. Um, all good Jews knew of all of this because they studied all oh, yeah. the books. 
Yeah. So when Jesus used those words and triggered stuff. Yeah, they're going, whoa, wait. <laughs> right. Exactly. They memorized stuff. Yeah. So they had it in their brain to... So Daniel wrote um, a little bit closer to Jesus than Isaiah did. His final vision came in about 536 B.C. So he's, you know, 550 years before Christ, give or take. Yeah. You're looking at 800 to 1,000 years when Jesus revealed that to ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, Isaiah goes back 750 years yeah. before. I mean, you know, go back all the way to Moses. You know, you're talking yeah. about three, four thousand years back. And and Jesus, you know, God through the prophets and through those who wrote the Bible revealed himself. So the Sanhedrin and the, the, those people couldn't adapt to the, uh, couldn't accept it in other words. I, yeah, I think that's probably an accurate way to put it. Yeah, because they knew it. I mean, you know, there was no lack of knowledge of the Old Testament among the Sanhedrin. But to make the leap to say, okay, this dude standing in front of me is the one that I'm reading about in Scripture was a step too far for them. They were unwilling to make that leap to say, oh, you're that guy. And they were supposed to have a faith, leap of faith. Yeah, in a sense, in a sense. And, and you know, that's, I mean, you think about when Jesus, Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, and, and he asked them, you know, who do people say that I am? You remember that whole section? Yeah. Right? People say that I am. And, and they're like, well, you know, some people say John the Baptist. Some people think one of the prophets. Some think you're Elijah. And, and you know, they come up with all the answers, right? And then he goes, all right, cool. But who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? Follow-up question. Yeah, the follow-up question, right? It's like it's real personal all of a sudden. <laughs> who do you say that I am? And, and it's Peter who goes, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, oh, you know, God bless you. I mean, this wasn't revealed to you by humans, but it was by the Holy Spirit. And and what's interesting to me about that is the setting for the whole thing. Caesarea Philippi, I mean, you know, we read that, we're like, okay, cool, they're in Caesarea Philippi, whatever. Caesarea Philippi was like, I don't think it's a stretch to say it was literally the gates of hell. Because Caesarea Philippi was the heart and soul of pagan worship. Um, and their their primary god that they worshipped there was Pan, which is the, the goat god, you know. And there's all kinds of weird, whacked out stuff that's going on in terms of worship there. So so for them to be standing in Caesarea Philippi when he asked that is like, it, it kind of makes everything bigger to say, all right, cool. So who do you say that I am? And they're standing right here in, in the midst of the, the most disgusting pagan worship you can imagine that focuses on everything but the one true God. And Peter goes, you're the Christ. You're the guy. And, and that's, I mean, that's a really powerful statement and a really powerful place to make that statement. It said something. That was a big revelation by, by yeah, Peter and it, also it, because oh, yeah. the other disciples couldn't couldn't envision it either. Well, they I mean they struggled with it, yeah, for sure. For sure. But they, they come to faith in the end. They yeah, right. the They're following years. the guy around for three years and they still struggle with it. They didn't take all the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration when God said So Yeah. This and, is my beloved son. In fact, yeah, that's true. He he took just now, the three. But not only that, so if you go back and you look at the end of Matthew, right? When he gives the Great Commission so this is actually really fascinating to me. I, and it's like an aside that most people just skip over, but I think it's interesting. Um, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, let me get there. Um, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Um, all right, now this is beginning at verse uh, 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so on and so forth. Um, and that one phrase, but some doubted, just always jumps out to me. And it's like, whoa, what's, what's up with that? Because they're talking about the 11 disciples, and I'm like, which of the 11 disciples was struggling here? Or was it a, was it, you know, a, a bigger crowd that came with them or what's going on? And the answer to that, I'm sorry to say, is nobody really knows for sure what that means. 
Um, it, it could be that, you know, it, it's an acknowledgement that they're not perfect. I mean, you know, some of them had fallen away. Um, could it be as simple as they doubted which or that they were at the right place. I think more likely, because I mean, it's like when they came to Jesus, that's when their doubt shows up. So it, it's, it, it could be, you know, understand the time frame in which all this is happening, right? <laughs> They're still probably struggling with everything that has happened in the last 40 days. Jesus' death, his resurrection, his appearance to all those people. You know, he calls them to the mountain where they've had all this time together and and, you know, some of it could be okay. You know, some of them had fallen away that night of the crucifixion. Like they had run and hadn't been part of it. So they're kind of doubting whether or not, you know, what's going on here. It could be that there's a larger group with them, maybe, and some of those fell away at that time. We don't know. And, and you know, I mean, that's, I have a note in here from one of my seminary professors, Dr. Gibbs. I even date these things. November 2012. <laughs> He said, nobody knows for sure what this means. It could be they're not perfect. After all, some of them fell away and one killed himself. You know, so, but we don't know. But, I, but to me, it's just fascinating to think about what is that, what's going on there? Maybe Doubting Thomas was one of them from the beginning. Poor guy, I hate that he gets saddled with that. <laughs> he was, the thing I love, I mean, you're right. That's, you know, Doubting Thomas certainly may have been one of those who struggled with it. I mean, he he certainly showed it right after the resurrection. Um, I think that cured him. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, all right, fine. Put your hand in here. Yeah. <laughs> and and I always think, you know, I, it's like, man, of all the things that Thomas did, I hated that he stuck with the doubting Thomas thing because he's the same guy who, when Lazarus died, right? They're up in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, or, no, they were up in Galilee. They're up in Galilee, and they get word that Lazarus has died, and Jesus is like, "Come on, guys, we got to go back to Jerusalem." And it's Thomas who goes, whoa, hold up. Are you, they're going to kill you if you go back to Jerusalem. And he's like, hey, we're going back. And it's Thomas who goes, all right, cool, let's go. He's, he's the one who's ready to charge in. He, he knows what the risk is. He's like, if this is what Jesus is doing, then all right, rock and roll. Bring it on. That's Thomas. He's the same guy. So, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just to me that's always fascinating to think about that. And and I think in part it's kind of a nod to the fact that we doubt sometimes too, right? That that there are times when we struggle a little bit with our faith. And and it's you know, we kind of grab a hold of that story that I believe help my unbelief, um, and, and reach out to the Holy Spirit to kind of bolster that. Way to go, John. Um I had somebody one time come up to me and said, I don't know, Pastor, I, I'm really there's a bug. I'm really concerned um, about this particular sin, and I, and I wonder if that means that I'm not saved anymore or anything. I was like, no, the fact that you're concerned about it means you're just fine. You're okay. It's when you don't care about the sin that you got to work, right? Because when you don't care about the sin, you're not interested in what Jesus is offering, and then you got a problem. Look at that. We covered three questions. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts? We'll pick up there next time. Um, just fair warning. My son and daughter-in-law are expecting a baby like any minute now. Um, she's due July 21st. But if we get a call, we're hitting the road. So... Um, if that happens, we might let y'all know that we're not having class next week. But we'll see. Well, you have a backup, right? I, well, yeah, maybe we can put Pastor Mike on. Pastor Mike yeah, can drop in for you. We haven't we haven't like locked him in on anything during the nine thirty hour. He's he's roaming right now to kind of get a feel for everything that's going floating. on. He's floating. He's floating. Yeah. So we might float him in here if we have to. All right. Let's close with a prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of faith and for the salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ, who we recognize as your son, as God, as um, our brother in Christ, but also as our savior. We pray that as we go forth from here, you would guide and lead us in all that we do, uh, that we might give witness to that which we know and that others might come to know it as well. We ask all of it in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.
thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. I pray that you learned a bit, that you met Jesus, and that your faith was built up through the discussion that you just heard. If you want to learn more about Holy Trinity, you can visit our website. It's www.holytrend.org. The website for the LCMS, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is www.lcms.org. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a great week.